Jess. Hey, how are you? Good, how are you? Okay, okay, busy as always. Yes, um, I know. Um, thank you so much for making time. This is so exciting because it's been so long and you were like one of the first people on my list for sure. Have you been able to listen oh, to the cool. podcast at that's all? Cool. Um, you know what? I listened to um, an episode with um, a girl who uh, who I know actually oh. uh, who went to school at Dallas Town High. Oh, Adrian! Right? Yeah, yeah. Yes. Oh, that's yeah, so cool. Adrian. So yeah, we uh, we always referred to her by like her local nickname. So I was like, oh yeah, Adrian, that's it. <laughs> but that's um, so yeah, cool. so so that was pretty cool. Nice. Cool to hear what she's up to and love to hear like the cool successes she's had. I love that. So. Yeah, it's so weird because Pretty we fun. lived like a block away for a long time in Philly and we never knew each other. And then we moved to Boyertown, both of us, and we found each other. And it was really nice. She's very, very nice and breath of fresh air around here. <sighs> I love Adrian so much. So welcome back to Big Mama Hex. We're back from a little break and this is episode 39 and I'm sitting down with Jess McPherson. And Jess is someone that I know through social media. Um, we mutually have followed each other for a few years now. Um, I'm not really sure how we found each other, but I'm assuming through Pennsylvania Dutch um, connections somehow. But um, Jess is an amazing person. I know of her work that she's involved in, again, through social media. But I can't wait to learn more about Jess and also for you listeners to hear more about Jess and all the things she does and her background. Um, and I think we should just get started. Welcome, Jess. Thanks so much for coming. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited um, to have a conversation. Absolutely. I'm so excited. So let's just start at the beginning. Um, I lived in Baltimore for about five years, and I know you work in Baltimore, but do you live in York? Like, can you tell us a little bit about where you're living now and where you grew up and sort of that regional background? Yeah, so right now I live um, sort of in East York, Pennsylvania, so York County, Pennsylvania. Um, really recently, maybe two or three years ago, I moved closer to the city uh, for travel and like thinking about, you know, um, any additional career paths or um, community service that I wanted to do in the arts community in York. Um, I grew up in uh, just south of Winterstown, Pennsylvania in North Hopewell Township. Um, so Winterstown is uh, very far south in the county, um, kind of like right down 83. Um, so for me, uh, jumping on 83 and heading to Baltimore for work uh, was, was, an easy, um, was an easy goal. Um, I work currently as uh, the finance director for uh, an urban Indian health program, which serves American Indians and Alaska Natives in the Baltimore and Boston regions. Um, but before that, and I think primarily, um, I'm, I'm an artist and a former gallery director. So I used to work uh, as a gallery director in York, Pennsylvania. Um, my family comes from, I would say, uh, Southern York County is the, probably the most general way I can put it. Um, my, that's where I grew up. My uh, grandmother's family came from uh, around the Seven Valleys area and her family came from out in uh, Hanover and Littlestown area. Um, so uh, yeah, I think. Yeah, Those are all farm areas. Is, uh, 
it's so right, much, right? Yeah, you're like, right. right I'm like, I grew up in Lower Bucks County. I know Philly really well, and now I know Berks County, but I'm like, it's all, you know, but I did live in Baltimore, and I know, like, York is pretty, pretty close, but I'm sorry, I interrupted yes. you, but what were you saying about now? I'm sorry. Oh, no, 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 that's, what, yeah, York is, like, 45 minutes north of Baltimore, and... 45 minutes south of Harrisburg. So it's kind of right in the middle there, about an hour west of Lancaster and, um, you know, another hour further to Philly. Um, but yeah, so it was just uh, uh, sort of running that out by saying, I'm working right now in social impact strategy and more specifically in arts and culture strategy. Uh, so I'm really interested in the ways that um, the arts and engaging in, in culture as a, uh, a sort of tool to, uh, provide more resilience factors in our lives, but also uh, to make, just to, in general, make us stronger people. I think when we connect ourselves to our ancestors, uh, it makes us stronger. Yeah, for sure. That's, that's... so, um, yeah, no, I was ahead, say, so um, <laughs> that's, when I saw uh, your work, I was really excited about it because I think um, not enough younger people are working in the area of sort of cultural arts in in our Pennsylvania German community so I think that's really awesome so well hey thank you so me. much and thanks for calling me younger people because <laughs> I'm feeling so old now there was like a huge shift I just turned 40 and it was like definitely a shift I don't know I think it's just the whole COVID situation. It's just aged us a lot, you know? Um, like, you know, we're not getting around as much. We're not getting out into the nature as much, into the nature, but you know, it's just, it's been tricky, but um, I really appreciate your words. It kind of, I jumped on the train and it was already moving so fast. I just can't get off. I just love it so much. And I can't, like, I wanna just keep evolving and growing. And similar to you, um, you know, I have an art background, but I also art education. And it's really important for me to use uh, the tools that I have and the knowledge that I have about how much of an impact visual images can make um, and dance and entertainment or music, you know, all of these things that can impact so heavily, especially when you're talking about social justice or change or the evolution of our, of our country and our, and our world globally. I think an image has so much impact. So I really, that resonates so much with me, the work that you do. And I guess I'm at a point now where I have like sat back and listened a lot and I've learned so much in the last couple of years. I'm really excited. Um, I'll be interviewing a um, millennial and she's like this, this really wildly intense, like feminist and like on the road, like we all sort of probably came from that time, like in the nineties and stuff, we had like that kind of energy and it's just like, I feel I'm feeding the, they're feeding me like with their energy. I don't know if you have a similar sort of experience, but um, their energy is really feeding me to keep, keep going and persevere, even though it can be so daunting and, and feel so hopeless. Um, but yeah, that's, that's where I am right now. So I've listened a lot and I'm sort of like, well, what do I do with, because, you know, probably similar to you, I find myself in like a very strange place within the Pennsylvania Dutch culture or within the Pennsylvania Dutch heritage and the current culture and the past culture. And, you know, my mom totally like turned away from it and didn't want anything to do with it in the like 70s and 60s, 70s, 80s. Um, I want to reclaim it and the parts that are important to us. And I'm, you know, Patrick Dunmore, who you may have heard of, and I have talked about this extensively. And, and where do we kind of fit in and, and what do we leave behind, but like acknowledge, it's just a really, really tough time right now because, um, you know, we wanna, we wanna do better and be better and still um, continue 
this uh, very important work. But I, I'm sort of in that place right now where I'm trying to gain from other people um, sort of knowledge about, you know, how can we move forward and, and make things sort of um, include everyone and be very inclusive. Um, so it's tricky. And especially living in Berks County and sort of facing a lot of that old, old style of thinking, it's just a tricky place to be, you know. So I'm, I'm interested in, in, in hearing more about, you know, I know you're Pennsylvania Dutch. And um, did you share with us, I'm sorry, I was like looking at your Facebook and looking at writing down a couple of things that I wanted to definitely touch on. Did you share what tribe you are? Is so um, I, I identify as a Susquehanna Indian. I don't, there aren't uh, tribes as political entities um, very much in this area anymore. And most okay. of my family and relatives would rather continue on a path of fitting in and, and not sort of try to do that reconnecting, which it sounds very much like you're trying to do with yeah. you know, your, your Pennsylvania Dutchiness. Um, <laughs> And that's, that's hard. It can be isolating, but I work um, within a larger community of Native people who, you know, live here, um, who live, you know, work with people all, all over the Mid-Atlantic. And so, right. um, ultimately, this is the place that I'm from. And right. um, so, to identify as a Susquehanna Indian, to bring that element of history back to the conversation, mm -hmm. um, to my best understanding, to my understanding, uh, I would say my family are Shawnee. Um, gotcha. But um, my contemporary identity is is such. So. Right, and that's a really good point too, because it's not like we can get from point A to point F without going through the other parts. So it's kind of like, as much as I envision, you know, a place where it, it's just it's it's super complicated, and there's so much intersectionality. It's <laughs> like that's why I really wanted to talk to you because I feel like we have that in common for sure. Like I'm also. Um, Welsh, and I don't know what else I am, who knows, but <laughs> um, I know that it's been tricky because I've felt just growing up in the 90s and being um, a feminist and, you know, like I was involved in like ska culture and punk culture and it was like anti-racist action and like Nazis were like fuck Nazis and stuff and all that stuff and like it's just hard to then be interested in this and having not grown up here and have like this pushback like, oh, you know, you know, German is equated with Pennsylvania Dutch is equated with Nazis. And it's just hard to navigate sometimes because I feel like I'm in the middle of all these different things that were really important to me. And it's just, I'm making my own path. And luckily I haven't had too much resistance that I know of, but um, it's tricky. And, you know, um, like kind of looking differently than people typically do at events and stuff. And like identifying, like I identify as bisexual, although I don't even know if that's like a relevant term anymore because it's so like old fashioned. I relevant think. if you make it relevant. Like I was thinking about it in the shower today. I was like, well, I'm just like, I'm learning so much. Like I said, I'm learning so much from young people and I love their energy. And I just like, just in the time that we've been alive, like I, I'm assuming you're probably similar age to me. Um, that I just feel like there's been so much yeah, change and yeah, and like good stuff, but also not to get ahead of it and feel like it's all done, but also like very moving to see so much change like happen for for women and for LGBTQ. And it's just been, it's just been incredible. And I would have never felt comfortable saying that like 10 or 20 years ago, you know? And I feel like yeah. there is so much support now. And I always felt really um, insecure about that and like, 
I don't know. So it's, it's a really interesting time and a very exciting time, but I'm sure, you know, working, especially having lived in Baltimore, it must be, there's a lot of challenges too. And York, um, I know Adrian and I have talked a lot about York. So how do you stay so strong, Jess? Like, what do you, how do you fill your cup? Like, is it art? Like, how do you continue to persevere when it must be daunting doing the kind of work you're doing because it's, it's just, it's a lot. And there's so many different things going on at once, you know, like how to stay yeah. focused. Yeah, it's tremendously difficult. I mean, right now I'm working in the area of like nonprofit finance, which is not like my first language for sure. Yes. <laughs> um, but, you know, yeah. but, you know, growing up, um, I feel like that kind of like, Pennsylvania German mentality uh, of that like farmer mentality almost of like, mm -hmm. there's a thing that needs done. And so I'm going to get it done. Yes. There's um, a need. So yep. I was working in that community. Yeah. I was working in that community and I, I had a skill. I knew I could do it. Nobody was doing it. It needed done or the thing would disappear. And so I stepped yes. in. Um, and so in that way, it's rewarding. And I feel like in that sense, I'm, you know, honoring that part of who I am and who I've been taught to be. Um, but yeah, my real, uh, my real life is like as an artist and, uh, you know, like a, a strategist, you know, a thinker. Um, and, and so trying to keep that balance, trying to, uh, to move the needle back towards center and kind of, um, you know, reincorporate art making, um, make time for it, make like emotional and, and mental headspace for it. Yeah. Because especially working um, in a, a public health agency during a pandemic, you, you know, with um, for an underserved community is an awesome time for um, funding to be available for us to really uh, provide services and support to our community. But um, it is a super challenge when, mm. our, you know, our organization is small and capacity is small and like, I have a limited amount of skills there. And though I build them and, and they can grow, um, that's a challenge. So making sure that I'm making space in my life to be out in nature, space in my life to, you know, think about drawing something even, um, mm. it's really, really important. Yeah, that's such a good point too, because I, I have taken jobs like that before and I found them actually kind of refreshing, like short term to use that part of your brain when you're no normally using, um, what is it? Your right brain is creative, right? And your left brain's like logical, I think. <laughs> don't worry, don't worry. Yeah. Whichever yeah, one, I you know what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. But like I always tell yeah. people, and this is something that I use in interviews all the time when I'm definitely not qualified for the position. Like I just recently was offered like an HR position, totally not for me. I just was like stressed out that I was gonna run out of like, um, work with artwork, like to support, support myself and my family and all. But I said, you know, creative, creative people find solutions. And don't you think um, yeah. with your background in, in being a creative person, you can look at things so differently. I mean, even just approaching like how to get more people to come into this museum that I was applying to be a museum educator for, it's like just having the solutions of like a visual perspective, like, oh, this would really grab their attention. I think it just it shifts like the perspective where people that don't use that side of their brain like really hadn't thought of it so I think it's also kind of 
even though you may feel a lot of times, and I always do that, you know, I'm maybe not as qualified as somebody next to me or whatever, but like I bring a whole different like framework and lens to look through and approach these, these problems that need solutions. Because I'll tell you what, like once you've been a teacher and I know you're a teacher too and have taught art and stuff like, and don't have supplies and you come up with ways to like bring that art to the kids and, and just figure it out. Like there's nothing you can't do, you know? I mean, clearly there's stuff you can't do, but you know like within reason. But I always think that's really interesting when creative people end up in positions like that. Yeah, I think, you know, I attribute all of my success in our, and I've been doing it for six years now and, and helped our organization to grow sort of exponentially. I wow. attribute all of my success to my training as an artist, because what it really is uh, to be a trained artist is to learn to see. And so, yeah while the product of my work is, you know, pieces of artwork that you can see, really the training is learning to observe, to see, to understand yes. those things. And, and if you, that's just a skill that is so important and it, it's so versatile and really flexible. Yeah. And when I was in art school, they said, yeah, they said, you know, you can do anything with this degree. They didn't bother to tell you what it might be. Right. <laughs> but it, and, and I was really frustrated with that for a long time, but it's very, very true, you know? It true. is so true. It's very, very true. And even down to just like, you know, I went to grad school for, for um, uh, whatever they call it now, communication design, it's graphic design, basically. And now I can't unsee like, like typography and letting and like, I can't unsee it. It's just so interesting because it's almost like, literally you're training your brain to look at things and deconstruct things in a totally different way than most people see things and i find it so fascinating especially like with you know more like our age group and how we've been doing it now for so long that it's so second nature and now it is time for us sort of to like not give up doing art but sort of use that that really keen sense of, of deconstructing or like coming up with creative solutions in ways to benefit more people which i always say like i always talk about ethical design or ethical art like like i've said no to a couple things where i just felt like you know this is maybe on the fence of something that would be offensive to my myself or, or people that i care for um so not with with not even knowing it wasn't overt i just went with like my gut and said like no you know but it's really tough but i think that's a really good point and i just want to ask you too jess i'm not like i've seen your artwork on on facebook and stuff but what is your primary um medium that you like to use or what's your primary art form that you like to do um i've seen some really gorgeous stuff and i know you had set up an easel so yeah yeah i was so super <laughs> excited to get an easel back out that was a beautiful shot uh, for uh <laughs> for a number of years um i have been working in um thread work which is more of a, a contemporary uh kind of native american um like uh medium um you'll see it on regalia on dance fossils on fans and things like that but um i had I, like i wanted to make it accessible to people so i incorporated it into jewelry um that was made sort of with machine parts and things that reminded me oh, of wow. my my industrial york county kind of heritage and um well, it's kind of a way to meld those things and then also like working through it as a way to um to process um, some grief and some you know, relationships that I lost and, and just try to kind of work that out for myself. And, and that's, no matter what 
the medium is, that's kind of the thing that I'm always doing, kind of uh, trying to figure out what it is that I'm thinking or feeling by letting yes. that work kind of guide me. Um, yeah. I love most of all to be doing charcoal drawings on like a good piece of paper. I love that. Oh thing. yeah. Dragging the charcoal yeah. across the paper. Um, oh my gosh, that was my yeah, jam. So, yeah. I mean, whatever it is, <laughs> whatever it is that kind of fits the the feeling that I'm trying to get out is, is what I'll use. I've done oil painting. Um, I've done um, uh, found object installation, which was really rewarding. Um, oh yeah. And, you know, I've done beadwork uh, and thread work and um, all sorts of different craft mediums as well. Yeah, so have I, and I don't know what your but background yeah, so is. I have like, Sorry, I was just going to say, I don't know if your oh, background I was just going to say, I have a website. Oh, nice. Yeah, cool. <laughs> we're good. Oh, tell, tell us yeah. about that. I was just going to ask you if you were art education, because you kind of like learn to work in many different mediums. And, and, you know, like if you go into fine art, they're like, no, 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 you can't do that. Or graphic design, they're like, no, you can only have one thing that you can offer. And I'm like, no, I'm going to offer what I offer, you know. But tell us about your website. Do you have a website? Always to, uh, I was always trying to kind of push um, my instructors in, in school to like, uh, it might be a painting class, but I want to build this. And then there's a little part that I'm going to paint on, you know, yeah. so always kind of challenging uh, folks like that. I'm sure it was, um, uh, I'm sure it was frustrating for them, but um, that's a thing that, you know, ultimately made me a, a, a student that they wanted to teach because I was trying to push. Yes trying to push myself, trying to challenge the medium, trying to do all of that stuff. Um, but yeah, so I was saying, um, I have an ancient website that hasn't been updated forever, but if you wanna see some of my fine art, you can look at it at jessmcpherson.com. Okay, cool, so I'll make sure to link that. Um, yeah, we definitely wanna see that. It's so funny, I did the same thing. I think, you know, professors wanted to work with us probably because we were such hard workers. And you know, at the end of the day, even though super frustrating, like, you know, I remember sort of having, it felt more like um, camaraderie with my professors than really being taught. I was like an older student too, because I was a single mom. So it's a little different for me, but um, you know, even still when I was undergrad, it's just like that work ethic. And I guess, like you mentioned the Pennsylvania Dutch, I guess that's sort of where it came from for me because it was definitely like that side of my family with the work ethic. Um, but yeah, it's really interesting. I just don't have any other modes. like. I saw that you um, recently had a vacation. I was like, oh man, I hope Jess is like legit relaxing because I will like, you know, when you're, well, when you're self-employed, it's really hard because you don't ever leave the office. And it's like, I force myself to take time off and the whole time, like I'm thinking about it, you know, it's really tricky. And sometimes it, it's definitely like a negative and I force myself to do fun things. Like just sitting for a movie with like my middle child, like it's really tough for me <laughs> because I want to be up and like, using all the time I have, but it's so valuable and so important to, to spend that time with people. And I was looking through your Facebook yesterday and or last night and noticed some of the old images from, um, I think it was the same place that you're working for now where you were doing like um, more educational programming and, and how, how much you, got, you almost really miss that being with the kids and stuff. And I know um, somebody shared that they loved having their kids come and work with you. And I know for me, I'm really missing that too. So I know that must be really tough to not be able to be as open as before, but are there, are things evolving in a way that you guys feel like it'll be more open? We've been doing a lot of um, virtual programming, for oh, nice. kids, which has been pretty good. 
we have, um, yeah, a number of kids who have been in, like involved in like more in depth than we were able to do sort of when we were in person even. So that's kind yeah. of cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. But um, I do miss being in person and I miss doing that programming. Um, yeah. As you know, in all sort of areas of social impact, like you have to respond to the needs of the community. And so um, what, from the time where I started teaching um, arts in the culture program at Lifelines in like 2012 to um, the time where I decided to take the job uh, doing the finance work, um, we saw sort of a shift in the needs in the community. There were initially um, kids who had uh, families with more parental involvement, mm -hmm. more accountability, more, um, more support, more stability in their lives. Um, at two, you know, we had a, a, a group of like a, a sort of, I don't want to say a generation because they're a little bit younger than the other kids, but you know, not that far, but um, a group of kids who just had a lot more um, intense needs. Mm. And so the way that we were teaching them and the, the, the projects we were doing um, needed to adapt to yeah. the things that they needed and the pace that they needed. Yeah. Um, so it's been really interesting to sort of see and be able to respond in that way. Um, although, you know, for me in my heart will always be like my first class of students where, you know, this is the stuff we were doing and I was testing it out and they were testing it out. Yes, <laughs> I love that. And thank goodness. <laughs> but you know, it's but, so yeah. empowering too for kids to have that sort of influence on a teacher to have it be more of a collaboration. It's so powerful. And you know, that's kind of, in, talk about ethics, like I had to leave public school teaching, even though it's like, you know, you have like the um, security and the paycheck and blah, 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 and the benefits and the retirement. But ethically, it was so, you know, being an art teacher in public school in Philly, like, it was just ethically very challenging, because they weren't, they didn't care about delivering the arts to the kids. And it was so, so broken. And it's just, it's so tough. But I know what you mean. I loved the same as you, like those those exchanges with kids where I had the freedom to like, oh, we're designing this curriculum. Oh, the, the basically I was like a babysitter for the school district. They didn't care what I did. So we did really cool stuff. And I said to them, like, what are you guys into? Because they came in the door with like no art background at all. Like some of them, they couldn't like cut properly and things like that, you know, fine motor skills and stuff. But it was really, it was a wild and exciting year. And it was my first year, just like you're saying, um, in Philly, like Strawberry Mansion, and the kids were amazing, and it was really tough because they closed their school, and it was just so heartbreaking, you know, because it was, it was just so, like, I thought, geez, I'm never going to see these kids again, and it, it was just really, really tough, so it's so challenging, but it, it does make a huge impact, you know, especially when you give kids respect and treat them like they're humans, and they have a stake in this all, and it's really, they're so important to certainly the evolution of, of all the things that we're discussing today, but um, wow, yeah, it's, it's challenging. I miss my kids a lot. I miss the students a lot, so I can't wait to yeah. be back in it real, real good, so. Um, yeah. I, I definitely miss at this time, like, uh, I used to do a lot of workshops, yeah. like adults or, or, you know, older kids or things like that, um, and yeah, I, I for sure miss that. We're trying to do um, a little bit more of that, you know, to easing back in, I think. Um, yeah. I'll be doing yeah. like a little craft 
a little craft fair next weekend and hopefully I'll oh, be nice. able to demo some stuff and show people some things. So Oh, that's so See. cool. Um and and what is the what is the website for um do you have like a website or is it best to go on Facebook to find you guys to get involved or come out to like the craft fair and stuff? Is it open to the public? Um, for Native American Lifelines, we do have public events. Okay, cool. Um, in this area, I would say, yeah, check our Facebook. It's updated most often. It's okay. Native American Lifelines of Baltimore. Um, cause like I said before, we have two offices. So this one is sure. of Baltimore. Um, okay, cool. And uh, I would say the other classes that I'm doing in the Native community are with um, Circle Legacy Center, and you can find stuff about Circle Legacy Center either on their Facebook page or um, at CircleLegacyCenter.com. Um, the other place that I work with that I think is an I love doing it because I think it's an interesting um, intersection uh, of of you know. Uh, Pennsylvania German or Swiss German culture and native culture as um, I don't know if you're familiar at all with um, the Hans Herrhausen Museum in Lancaster. It is uh, like a prominent, it's a, it's a museum part of like a project of the Lancaster Mennonite Historical Society. Uh-huh. So I think I've heard a, of it. A very old um, homestead. It's really cool. They have a very old homestead there that's beautiful and they do lots of teaching and sort of um, cultural preservation stuff around that. And um, on that site, many years ago now, again, their grand opening was in 2013, um, they built a longhouse to um, the specifications of one that was excavated um, here oh, in wow. York, uh, in Lancaster County, actually, along the Susquehanna. Um, and although the time period that they're interpreting is not the time period where this kind of longhouse would be, it's meant to really educate people on what uh, what that intersection means. And it comes out of efforts from um, the, like the Plain community, uh, their efforts at honor and healing with the Native community. Yeah. Because, you know, although they felt like, you know, maybe they were taking a pacifist role, that certainly does not absolve them of the horrors and damage that they allowed to happen to yes. their neighbors, to their friends. And, yeah. And that's the reality of that. So. Wow, I'm so glad you mentioned that. That's really, that's interesting. And that's sort of like what I'm kind of grasping for is like some kind of, not like you can ever right the wrong, but some kind of um, moving forward, just like an acknowledgement and like, how can we help support this community that that was caused so much um, uh, terror? Like, I don't even know how to like put it into words. I know in our area, um, like the Lenape were very, present here and I know you know my family is a uh, of the Fisher house homestead whatever um like we were here like I go back to the Turks Daniel Boone like all of these people or whatever and and it's hard for me because I don't really know the history and it's not probably written about anyway even if I did read it right so it's just it's hard for me because um just as like a person who's very open like spiritually even though as corny as that is uh you know, I've always been really drawn to like um, the Native American spirituality and like, you know, the mother and the father, you know, mother earth, father sky. And it's always been so palpable for me, but I also didn't want to ever um, be disrespectful or like appropriate it. But I always like, 
like secretly in the closet, I'm always very, very much drawn to that. And even, you know, I don't know if you've ever heard of, um, let me think her name, Pat, Pat McCabe. Have you heard of her? Pat McCabe is, um, sure. she's um, known as Woman Stands Shining. Um, and she was on a, a podcast with Sharon Blackie, who's somebody who does a lot with Celtic, um, like Celtic spirit, uh, I don't know what you would call it, like archetypes and stuff like that. But she had her on and this was a fascinating conversation. And, um, and then I also follow someone named Rain Dove. Are you familiar with? No. Okay. She's um, a trans model. I think she goes by she, her, I think. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure, or they, them. And she also grew up like very in, in a native community with her mother. And they talk a lot about um, sort of like the relationship to women and menstruation, which is so powerful to me because I've always had this like strange, not strange, not strange for me, but strange for like other people, like um, connectedness to menstruation and the process and feeling very empowered by it. And I never really like could understand why. And then I'm reading this stuff and hearing Pat McCabe talk about it. And I was like, oh my God, this is like legit how I feel about this. So it's kind of, it's kind of interesting. And I don't know how much of that is just, I absorbed a lot. Like I said, my mom totally said goodbye, Pesveda. She was very interested in Native American spirituality and it was definitely an influence on us. Um, but, you know, as I got older and learned about appropriation and things like that, you know, you always want to be respectful and honor um, that this is sacred for people that have the lineage. But I mean, can you speak to that at all? Because I know, um, when Pat McCabe was interviewed by Sharon Blackie, they talked about how people in North America are really drawn to this spirituality and, and, you know, you know, just like navigating that and how, how, um, like, I don't know. It's weird because when I visited the Fisher house, there's a spring house and that was the first one built or whatever. And they had told me that they had to make sure it was super secure because, you know, that they had some problems. And I don't know if it was like, I know they talk about the French and Indian war a lot in this area, but you don't know if the information is actually correct. And like, you know, which side our ancestors fell on. It's just, it's really hard to like, um, navigate, I guess is a good word for it. And how do you feel with, with the two sides of your heritage? How does that come together for you? And how do you, do you feel conflict about it? Or do you feel you know, maybe there was a lot more um, of blending of families that we just don't realize because not everybody's going out and doing Ancestry.com. Like, I don't know. Like, I'm curious about that. And I'm wondering if you right. know more about that, you know? Yeah. Well, one thing to speak to the point that you made about people in North America being like sort of very drawn to yes. um, that sort of archetype, uh, that generalized Native American uh, culture or, or spirituality. I think that comes from just a lot of Americans like putting down their own traditions and their own their own yes. ways of being or ways of knowing to mm -hmm. fit in to 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 you know make a path for themselves here, and I think um, I think that creates a lot of desire to to reconnect to something because it yes. you know, it's, it's still it's it's still there that like. In the Native community, we talk often about this idea of historical trauma and the, mm -hmm. the stuff that carries in our DNA from, you know, the, the things that have uh, happened in our lives. And I think that's the same for our, our, our ancestors coming from, like, war-torn, you know, yes. Germany yes. and, and, and you know, in the 1700s, you know? 
um, I think that's, that's all sort of the same thing. But the thing that comes along with that is you have to remember that there is also, you also are carrying that ancestral wisdom, right? Mm -hmm. That resilience that got those mm -hmm. people all the way through to you. And so doing the work to connect to, your, to yourself, to your own histories, to your own, I, that, one of the things that I really appreciate about your work is I feel like you're, you're digging deeper into that um, further back, less like uh, Lutheran or you mm. know, whatever um, um, religion, and, and, and yeah. further back into that, the, the, truer, um, the truer teachings of our ancestors there. Yeah. And that's, that intersection and where they're sort of hybridized, I feel like is where our Pennsylvania German ancestors come from. It's really much more of a hybrid yeah. of that understanding of pagan traditions yeah. and sort of like, layering over it with Christian traditions because mm -hmm. this is where we're at now and everybody's finding us. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, <laughs> but so I think that um I think that's a really important uh space to be in and a, a space to work in, but also like just to understand um that that is a thing for so many people. Culture mm -hmm. loss is so you know, like the work that um, Doug Maidenford is doing with mm -hmm. language preservation. That's happening now because just now we're losing that, you know, just with my yeah. parents and your parents' generations or our grandparents' generations, you know, my, my grandmother, um, you know, everyone around her spoke like Pennsylvania Dutch, but she really did not, like she knew the words they were saying, but didn't really know uh, what they meant anymore, you know, right. and so, going to, um, you know, going to school and, and in a climate that was very sort of anti-German makes you kind of suppress mm -hmm. those things. So thinking about those, all of those historical factors that happen in, you know, our, our past generations are important in understanding where we are and how we can mend that going forward. Um, so yeah, I just think that stuff is really important. Yeah, that was a whole lot to unpack. I apologize. <laughs> it's like, it's hard, for me to, it's, it's hard for me to put into words, I guess, what, what I mean. And I'm sure that you understood what I was trying to say. But, um, you know, I don't ever want to sound like just an ignorant person. But there is not much information about these, like, sort of nuances. And also, you know, how much of our um, lives and, and, and our way of life were influenced by the natives that were in, in our area when we settled, you know? I mean, certainly... Yeah like as far as plants go and like having um knowledge about plants and and um what the heck is the word I, i'm totally right, <laughs> using, right using plants for medicinal purposes um herbology uh, things like that certainly must have you know we came from a totally different place but i guess i guess i i guess i'm just in a place personally in my life where i'm just like okay well like my mom's generation, maybe she was drawn to it because she, you know, in that time period, it was like the melting pot. And I talk about that a lot where it was like, well, we're just going to raise our kids to be American and, and that will like dismantle all the wrongs that have been done. And that's not how it works, baby. Like not for against my, my parents or, or their generation, but um, like acknowledgement is a great first step at just, you know, and then appropriating somebody's spirituality in 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 order to like resolve the conflict or the wrongdoing is also like in my opinion definitely like dishonorable or possibly offensive you know but um yeah you know they didn't know 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. Like, I'm so appreciative of it. And I feel like it's so strange how, like, I've always had this thing. Like, it's, it's really, like, I don't really talk about it, but, you know, I feel like this is a safe space to talk about it. And it's just, like, this thing that's, like, really, like, not like not like an obsession but like a fascination with menstruation and when i heard this woman talking about it i was like holy shit and then rain dove talked about it and i was like holy shit because she had this whole ad campaign where she um I, i'm pretty sure her pronoun is she and if it's not i'll go back and fix it but um i want to actually reach out to her and tell her what huge impact she's had on me she's an incredible person um you should check her out just the work she's doing uh, she's a model but she's also doing a ton of work but she has this whole campaign where she presents like as male but then she has like um blood on her uh what are they called boxer briefs or whatever and it's really fascinating and talk about like a powerful image I just I don't know I have like a thing with um yeah menstruation and like and it kind of creates using... a lot of like yeah it creates a lot of like terror in our contemporary yes. society and I don't right? want to freak in, you in out <laughs> if you're like yeah, totally no, no, like society it creates a lot of um they can't handle it comfort yeah right? yeah it's too powerful it's like insane and but um so, yeah yeah so I, I think where you're getting is like asking sort of how that relates in in indigenous culture and so you know um while i can't speak for every tribe and every nation all the teachings i'll say that sort of um the way i understand and, and the way that um i have been talked to about it is it it you know in a in a view understand sort of reciprocity and cyclical um relationships mm. it it makes much more sense right and, yeah. and if you understand um your self in a um in a sort of ma uh, matriarchal culture then you understand that like women are life givers and so um I, I think that, um, you know, a lot of the ways that I've been talked to about it are kind of, um, what can I say? Um, this, like, from a patriarchal view, you will see this as something that, like, you're supposed to be over here because you're dirty, you're gross, yes. whatever. Yes. From a matriarchal perspective, your power is so great, you, you will interrupt everyone else's power. You, you have to sort of give everyone space at that time. Yeah. So extremely sacred. You know, something that's really, really important. And um, I, yeah, I understand that. I, I think like uh, when I was an adult, I, uh, I had a friend who like, who could not menstruate. And I thought, oh my God, what is, what, what would I, like, what would I do for as much as like, it's, it interrupts like the normal yeah. life of things. Yeah. You know, um, it, it I, what would I do? You're like, I felt like, oh my God, she's broken. And that's a whole, yeah. like, not a feeling I want to put onto anybody, but it was a weird realization for me to, to understand that, oh my gosh, this is a fundamental thing that I think is really important. Yeah, it's very true. Yeah, yeah. for sure. So, uh, yeah, and I, I think it's just, it comes so, down to. Just, it's really yeah, yeah and i think it's like um just just honoring it as as this this amazing miraculous thing that we do um and not to any end just that it, it's pretty phenomenal and you know i i just love the way that 
like she described, it's just like this, like a celebration. And it's not looked at as like, you know, um, in some countries, like women will be literally like shunned, like they can't be around anybody else or like, you know, just thinking about like, um, you know, <sighs> genital mutilation is really something that has always been you know, just, just horrific for me. And I had some friends uh, in college and stuff that uh, were from Africa and we talked and, and my one friend did this incredible piece about it, but it's just, it's so, it's so strange. And, and, but also so um, profound to hear it be talked about that way when you feel something and you've never been able to feel supported by that. But um, so I guess, you know, with it being almost an hour, I guess what I'd like to ask you is, in your opinion, Jess, since you work so closely in being on the front line of things changing and what we can all do, like what do you see as like um, things that everyday people can do to change and make things sort of better? What what are ways, little ways, if you can't, um, you know, like really afford to help in in a monetary way, like little ways that you can do to help support the work that you're doing, and also just generally like. I think a lot of people are kind of stopping and listening and then sort of like, you know, not sure what to do next. You know what? I'm sure there's little things that can be done all the time that can help a lot. And then bigger things like how can we help support the work that you're doing? I mean, I think in the most basic way, understanding that people are the authority on their own identities. Yes. And, you know, to sort of stop the, I mean, I know I'll use the example as, as an, you know, an indigenous person, like that kind of experience, people all the time tell you, you're not what you are. Yeah. And they tell you, you don't exist. And they tell you that you must be from of some far off place. You must be from Arizona. Um, a lady once said to me, how did you get this far east? And I thought, oh my God, how did you get out of bed this morning? Like, Honestly. So just understanding that people's, people's experiences may be different from yours. And that is completely valid. And wherever you can, advocating for those people to, to for their own voice to be, you know, allowed to be heard. I think that's important. Um, you know, in, for all communities, you know, not just yeah. sections of, of my communities. Um, I think the more that we can do that, the more that we can understand that we don't all have to have the same experience and that we're all valuable in the community that we're in. Um, you know, I think that hopefully is the thing that, that helps to create some kind of, or, or support some kind of empathy for other people. Yeah. Just knowing that, you know, other people have different lives than you have and, and uh, that doesn't make them bad or it doesn't, you know, it doesn't make them better than you or anything like that. It just makes them different than you. And that's something you can always learn from. It's really important. So, so keep listening, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. I, I don't know if you're familiar. I'm on Instagram a lot. <laughs> If you can tell. There's a man named, um, well, his screen name is Notorious Cree, and um, his name is James Jones, and he's based in Canada. Um, he talks a lot about being Indigenous and sort of like reclaiming um, the things that they were 
you know, not allowed to do like the dancing and, and his hair and things like that. But he also talks profoundly. It, it really made a lot of sense to me that he's not here to educate people. It's not his job to teach you everything he knows. And I think that's a really good point about like people in sort of my position and thinking like, oh my God, like all this, all this, all this chaos that has happened, all this destruction, like how can I help? And I'm feeling this need to like fix it so you don't have the guilt. Like that's not the answer. And it's also not anybody's job to say like, not what I'm asking you, like how can we help, but more like, oh, Jess, can you teach me everything you know about X, Y, and Z? Because you're clearly knowledgeable about this. And that's so, you know, also just dishonorable to ask somebody because it's trauma too, you know, and like what he's working out with, with the, um, with the influence that he has is kind of sharing really important information, but then to be asked like in such an ignorant way. And I don't know if you run into that a lot, but it would become really daunting. It happens to me about Pennsylvania Dutch stuff and it doesn't really, I don't know. It doesn't, it's, it's a little different. It gets to me a lot when people will ask me things about, you know, well, aren't Pennsylvania Dutch people all Nazis and stuff like that is really, is really tricky. But as far as like what he's speaking to, it's happened. I know. Well, it's hard. Well, I mean, yeah, but you know, it's also hard to navigate when you kind of know that some people, like you've mentioned with the, with the plain people and the Mennonites, um, you know, and knowing, having done some research about our history and the anti-German hysteria and sort of why, like my mom doesn't speak Pennsylvania Dutch and you know, my grandmother being, you know, I have people in her generation that um, got punched in the face for speaking it in public school. And can you imagine in our yeah. framework, in our framework now where like, since I've been a teacher, there's always been ESL class, there's always been support for English as second language learners. Um, but then again, like my, my first, my eldest daughter's father was um, native uh, Puerto Rican and, and did not speak any English. And there was no ESL class for him when he was growing up. And there was no support for him. And, you know, just, uh, it's, it's just changed so much. It's just wild. And it's good that it's changing, but it's also like, are we just putting a bandaid on it? Are we, are, are we actually really trying to change and make things better for these, these people and for all people? And, and that's what I think it just comes down to like human nature, um, and trying to work better at being, I think the answer actually might be just mindfulness and why are you asking this person this question? Where is it coming from? Are you asking them to actually help or are you asking them to satisfy some kind of um, uncomfortable feeling inside of yourself, you know? Right. And, and yeah, are you, is it coming from uh, feelings of support or is it coming from feelings of you're trying to resolve? Yes. And, and are, are you resolving your guilt about the thing? Yes. Or are you helping them to find solutions to the problems that they want to solve is the thing. Exactly. And where are they now? Like, are you trying to find solutions for people from like a hundred years ago that are just not relevant anymore? Cause now they're in a whole different place. Like having taught in Philadelphia and like, you know, some of like the really tough neighborhoods, I'm like, people are so out of touch, even teaching us in our programs in art education, like how we can connect to them because really you're just so full of shit because the way you're teaching me to connect with them is so like, they're not worried about their art class or their art project. They're worried about like, how am I going to eat and stuff? Like legit, I would bring in like snacks for some of the kids. And it's just like, it's just such a disconnect from the people that do all of the 
spending and um, planning. And it's just, it's just so, so sick and so sad, but very grateful for organizations like the organizations you've spoken about, about definitely educating people and making people more aware and, and bringing together, you know, there is ignorance and it's not necessarily because people choose to be ignorant. It's just, they've not been taught this, you know, the things that we were taught in school are just so overtly not the truth. And even now my daughter's in seventh grade, they haven't talked about contemporary topics at all this year. They're still learning about, and it's, it has a place, but they're still learning about like Mesopotamia and stuff. And like right now it's so important to learn about. And I'm just like, oh my God, I can't even right now. It's, just, it's very tricky. So I think there it's needs to be. You have to make things relatable in, in the moment, you know, and I yes. think that's part of the part of the interesting thing for me to have a conversation about um, the intersection of, you know, native culture in Pennsylvania and Pennsylvania German culture is that mm -hmm. it, it is relatable. There are mm -hmm. parallels. They're not, a, you know, there's certainly not like Pennsylvania German genocide. We're all still certainly here eating yes. our lemon and bologna and doing whatever, you know, <laughs> but <laughs> you know, it's, um, there are parallels there and there are lessons to be learned. Those things oh, yeah. that have harmed us as, you know, Pennsylvania Dutch people, um, in the most recent past, um, you know, can e you know, could have easily escalated into the same genocides that happened to yes. our ancestors, you know, yes. and, to, and, and understanding our existence even before we came here to be in Pennsylvania and why we came to be here. I think there's a huge lesson right now in contemporary mm -hmm. society to understand why our ancestors left the place where they were. Yes. For ever yeah. to come to a new place and, yeah. and suffer all the hardship, hardships that came with it and do all the horrible things they had to do to survive. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. It's not comfortable mm -hmm. to sit with, but, uh, you know, you, you have to do that in order to, in yeah. order to understand at all what other people, what other, why people are traveling for months and months on foot with their children to come to this country because you did it too, you know? Yep, yep. think about that yeah it's really true and I think it's just funny just reflecting on our conversation I come back to um Todd Chrisley is always in my head with stay in your lane and it's just kind of like you know I think making change in where I am able to is kind of also impactful and then opening up those conversations as well um for inclusion and getting people excited about it. But I always end most of my podcasts, I'm not going to lie, Jess, it's like, listen, this sounds like a really good children's book. We should work on it together. So I'm going to throw that out to you. We should write a little story about it. And like, is there is there any content out there for people to like learn more about maybe what some of these relationships might have been? Like, I always see it in terms of a children's book and I just can't yeah. help it. I can't help myself. I've got like That's I've got like 10 projects going of like children's books to come up with from the podcast. But what is your answer to that? What do you think we should do it? Uh, I mean, yeah, I think that's a conversation worth having. It's, it wouldn't be my first children's book. So. Oh, tell us. Let's do the thing. Why not? What, what do you uh, have I, in I, your I, repertoire? <laughs> I illustrated a book written by a good friend of mine, um, Jamel Washington. Uh, it's called Enzi and the Broken Bandage. Oh, wow. 
I think you can still find it on Amazon. Um, I, I think probably if you Google it, you can find where oh, to Oh, that's to look. so cool. Oh my gosh, I see a YouTube video. I'll have to get the links for that. That's very cool, very neat. Oh my gosh, that's so cool. So you think like that too. Because I'm always thinking like the kids are the answer. Like they're the ones we can still reach. They're not, you know, you know, they're still, they still, they still want to make things good and, and, and be good. And, and like, well, I don't know. I taught in a Montessori school, so maybe I'm thinking straight, but all the children have experienced. I think it's possible. Yeah. I think it's possible for anyone who wants to learn really. And that's, that's, I don't know about you, but that's my favorite thing about teaching. Yeah. Um, I love learn. And if I can learn something and give it back out to someone else who can use it better than I ever could, then that's my favorite piece of yeah. change in the world. Yeah, me yeah. too. I never want to stop learning. And also I found the book. I'm going to link it. That's so cool. Um, and also, you know, I learned so much from my students, even today, like they're all, especially the little littles, they just have so much like of a different perspective. It's really fascinating. So Jess, this has been more than what I imagined in my fantasy of how great this would be. It was so nice to talk to you and catch up with you and learn more about you and see your beautiful face and the beautiful color behind you. I love all of the things going on behind you. Um, and thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. I love that color. That's literally my favorite color. Oh, nice. There we go. Oh, oh, my goodness. Thank you so much for sitting down with me and um, taking this time to share all the amazing things you're doing and, and just keep up the work that I know is very challenging. And I hope you get some, some time and carve out some space to make some more artwork, you know, because I know it's tough when you don't get that. Um, release. It's definitely therapy for me as well. So, and I always say it's like yeah, dancing yeah. with the ancestors, you know, it's like, it's like, yeah, I, I think of it, yeah, it's my first language. So yeah. It's like, it's like ritual and it's like, um, what do they call that? Worship. It's worship to me. That's how I worship. It's like going to visit the cemetery, um, just being in Oli and absorbing the atmosphere and then also painting with the ancestors. It's definitely how I do my worship. Yeah, very cool. We should definitely have uh, more art discussions in the future. Yes. And, uh, yeah, I'll look forward to that. Oh my gosh, Jess, anytime, come on. I don't know how long this thing is going to go, but I've been really <laughs> enjoying it. It kept me sane this past year um, and very thankful for the technology of it all. Good, good, good. So you take good care and max gut. Max gut.